love. These are the themes of the Christmas season. We've been lighting candles each week to remind ourselves of that. But we need to remember something important. While everybody anywhere would affirm that these are important themes worth celebrating, the Christmas story is not born out of human desire or human longing. The Christmas story instead is born out of God's desire and God's longing. This whole thing was set in motion by His desire for us, His willingness to give us what we needed, something that we could not give ourselves. And so over these weeks we have been exploring the promise that God made, a promise born out of His longing, His love, His desire for us. And as we near the arrival of Christmas Day, we reach the coming of the culmination of that promise. And so I invite you to join with me this morning as we turn to that familiar story out of Luke's Gospel, the first chapter. We read the story of the angel's visit to Mary and the promise that God made to her and through her to all of us. And so looking in Luke's Gospel, the first chapter, beginning in verse 26, this is what we read. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We all have traditions that 
shape the way we celebrate this season. For most of us, there are those things we do that we have to do in order for it to feel like it's really Christmas. There's that certain meal that you or your family prepare. There's that ritual you guys observe or that place you always go. And until you've done it, you just don't feel like the season has been fulfilled. We have a number of those kinds of traditions in our household, and one of the smaller ones is that before Christmas Eve, we all have to sit down together and watch the Polar Express. And if you haven't seen it, it's, it's this really wonderfully animated uh, story of a boy who has reached that age when he's beginning to question his belief in Santa Claus. And so he goes to bed on Christmas Eve, all anxious, not sure what to make of all this stuff that's supposedly going on around him. And then just as he drifts off to sleep, something amazing happens. A magical train pulls up in his front yard. And he boards the train and they ride together all the way to the North Pole to visit Santa and the elves. Now, before he gets on the train, he's already heard that you have to be a true believer in order to hear the bells on Santa's sleigh ringing. The only problem is he's not convinced he really does believe. He wants to believe, but he's plagued by doubts. And so the whole train ride there, he's curious to know what exactly will he see and hear. Well, he has a number of exciting adventures on the train ride up, but eventually he finds himself standing in the cheering crowds with all of the elves and all of the other boys and girls who've ridden the train with him, and they are there waiting for Santa to emerge from his workshop. Now, in all the hustle and the bustle and the excitement, one of the bells flies off of a reindeer's harness and lands right at his feet. And you know, this is the climactic, critical moment in the story. You see, he hasn't yet seen Santa. The crowds of people around him are too thick. He hasn't yet laid eyes on that thing that he wants to see. And so without visible proof, he's got to decide whether he can convince himself to trust this story. So he scoops down and he picks up the bell and he holds it next to his ear and he squints his eyes and he furrows his brow and he says to himself passionately over and over again, I believe, I believe, I believe. And he rings the bell and he hears the most beautiful sound he's ever heard. He has successfully overcome his skepticism. He has suppressed his doubts. He has passed the belief test. And now he's ready to see Santa. Now we know it's a fictional story. Just to be clear, after we saw it the first time years ago when my girls were still very small, I made them promise that if a train ever showed up in our front yard offering to take them to the North Pole, they would not get on it. <laughs> but I can't help but wonder if that story illustrates how we sometimes approach the Christmas story, the real Christmas story, the one that's told to us in the Bible. 
We like to think that we are rational and intelligent people who have a firm grasp on reality. We understand how the real world works. We are perfectly at home in the world of smartphones and modern medicine and cars with built-in GPS systems. And yet, once a year, we find ourselves confronted with this fantastical story about an angel appearing and about a virgin giving birth. It sounds almost like a fantasy or a fairy tale. What are we supposed to do with this story? Well, one option that is available and that some have chosen is to reject the historical truth of this story and to simply treat it like a myth or a legend. Those who choose that option will likely tell you that it doesn't really matter whether this story is really true because it's just a necessary part of the Christmas experience, kind of like watching a movie about a magical train ride to the North Pole. There's no harm in telling the story, they will say, so long as we don't lose touch with reality. I mean, after all, everybody knows virgins don't have babies, but I suppose a little religion never hurt anybody so long as we don't lose our senses about it. It reminds me of the story I heard about an atheist businessman who every December stood out in front of his retail store and sang, what a friend we have in Jesus. Think about that one. You'll laugh about it later. But the other option is to be like the boy in the Polar Express. We want to believe because we are convinced we're supposed to believe. And so we close our eyes and we furrow our brows and we flex our belief muscles and we suppress our doubts and we force ourselves to accept as true something that otherwise we wouldn't believe. And those who choose this option will likely tell you that the story of the virgin birth is given to us as a kind of test case for true faith. They will say that this story is in the Bible just to make sure we're willing to accept what the Bible says. And if we can bring ourselves to accept it, we're in. We're among the true believers. And if we can't, then we aren't. Well, This morning, I want to suggest to you that neither approach is terribly helpful. And that there may be a better way forward. Let's look first at those who reject the truthfulness of this story. I should say at the outset that if you or someone you know is already convinced not to believe this story, then I doubt anything I'm going to say to you this morning will convince you otherwise. While I can give some reasonable evidence, I cannot conclusively prove to you that Jesus was born of a virgin any more than I can conclusively prove to you that Jesus was raised from the dead. Though I can conclusively tell you that the Bible believes both of these things to be true. To be clear, the resurrection gets way more attention in Scripture than does the virgin birth, and yet the Bible clearly and unapologetically declares that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of a woman who'd never been with a man. 
we have not one, but actually two different accounts of this, written by two different authors, writing to two different audiences, and telling the story from two different perspectives. One is in the Gospel of Matthew, which we read last week, and which tells the story from the vantage point of Joseph, and what it was like for him to receive the news. This week, we've read the other account, Luke's more popular version, which of course tells the story from the vantage point of Mary and the incredible challenge that this story presented to her. And it was a challenge. Those who say that it's impossible for modern people to believe this story, while it would have been possible for ancient superstitious people to believe this story, haven't read the story because Mary wasn't any more inclined to believe it than we are. She was smart enough to know where babies come from. So how can this be, she asked. This story is one of several important claims about Jesus' nature and identity. And if we choose to set this story aside, then we are already beginning to unravel the whole of the gospel message. But let's turn to the other option for a moment. Is it useful or helpful to view the virgin birth only as a test case for authentic faith? Is this story there just for the purpose of separating the true believers from everybody else? A few years ago, I got an email from another pastor who had just moved to town. The email explained that he was looking to make connections with other pastors in the area, but he was only willing to have fellowship with those who, in his opinion, properly passed the test of orthodoxy and true belief. And so he sent me a list of 39 different doctrinal and theological questions, which he asked me to answer with a simple yes or no. And if I could successfully answer yes to all of his questions, then he would be glad to grant me with the joy of having lunch with him. Would you be surprised to hear I still haven't replied to that email? Don't get me wrong. Doctrine matters. Theology matters. And I'm happy to discuss it and think we should do so. The problem comes when we start to divorce our beliefs from the larger biblical story out of which those beliefs arise. Doctrines are not just abstract statements that are given to us to force us to believe. Rather, they are efforts to summarize and systematize the story that the Bible tells. And that is the case with the virgin birth of Jesus. God asked us to believe this story, but not just so we could prove that we believe. The Bible tells us the story of the virgin birth because it is a vital clue to the way God works. God works from outside our expectations and beyond our understandings in order to accomplish what is bigger than our abilities. Let me say that again. God operates from outside our expectations and beyond our understandings in order to accomplish what is bigger than our abilities. The virgin birth is a sign that God is not limited to what we think is possible. And that is the best news we could ever hope to hear. 
because it means that God is capable of doing what we could never accomplish. That's what the incarnation is all about. God comes from beyond us to do what we couldn't do for ourselves. And while that fact is fulfilled on the cross, that truth is already being embodied when God finds his way among us through a virgin's womb. God comes from outside our expectations and beyond our understandings to accomplish what is bigger than our abilities. Think about it this way. If the Bible were only a story of what is humanly possible, then I submit to you that it wouldn't be really a story worth reading. If the Bible were forced to operate only according to what makes complete sense to us, then the story that the Bible tells wouldn't be substantially any different from any of the other stories we tell. And we already know enough about the stories we tell to know they usually don't turn out so well. Just watch the evening news and you'll see what I'm talking about. I recently came across a blog article by author and preacher Frederick Beekner. He quotes a German saying, and out of deference to the German speakers in the audience, I will not attempt to say it. But when loosely translated, the saying means this, whatever people do, it turns out lousy. That's an optimistic view of the human condition, but maybe an accurate one. Whatever people do, it turns out lousy. Now, we are capable of doing great good. But human history is mostly the story of us making an ever bigger mess of things. The Russians got rid of the czars and they ended up with Joseph Stalin. In America, we did away with slavery and then instituted Jim Crow. The Allies won the war and then watched the Berlin Wall go up. We got rid of Saddam Hussein and then spent the next 15 years fighting the Taliban and ISIS. Do you remember the so-called Arab Spring? Back in the spring of 2011, a wave of pro-democracy movements swept across the Islamic world, raising the hopes that some authoritarian dictators would be overthrown, and some were, only to be replaced by more authoritarian dictators. Whatever people do, it usually turns out lousy. And don't think that it's all about international politics or government inefficiency. You and I don't do much better at the local and personal level. We go looking for a little extra financial relief, and before long we're drowning in credit card debt and personal loans we can't repay. We go looking for someone with whom to share our frustrations, and the next thing we know we're wrapped up in an affair. We leave one job only to find that the next boss is even cruddier, and we have to spend even more time away from home. I don't mean to focus on the negative. I'm merely pointing out the obvious. Human striving by itself rarely leads us far forward. That's what I mean when I say human history is the story of what is humanly possible. Meanwhile, the Bible is the story of what seems impossible to us. 
because the Bible is the story of a God who breaks into our world from outside of our world. He is a God who comes to us from beyond what we understand to accomplish what we cannot do. And so the virgin birth then is far more than just a test case to see if we can force ourselves to believe. It is actually given to us as a sign of hope. Because it points us to a God who finds his way around the limits of our possibilities in order to give us what we truly need, namely a Savior. Because in the end... What we need is more than just a baby born in a manger. What we need is a sinless, perfectly obedient son who will take our guilt upon himself and restore our fellowship with God. And that is exactly what the virgin's child gives us. The story of the virgin birth is about a God who comes from beyond our expectations and beyond our understandings to accomplish what is bigger than our abilities. Of course, having said all of this, we'd be wrong and misplaced if we thought the virgin birth somehow represents an exception to the way God normally works. It doesn't. At least part of the reason that we have a hard time with this story is because we have formed an inaccurate view of the way God interacts with His world. You see, throughout human history, in just about every religious and philosophical system there is, the common view has been this. Earth and heaven are two distinctly realms, and they have nothing to do with each other. Earth is where humans live, and heaven is where God or the gods or the powers or whoever or whatever it is that's running this show, that's where they live, and our worlds don't touch, they don't overlap, they have nothing to do with each other. We humans live here on earth going about our business, and God, if there is a God, is up there somewhere going about His, and that's it. And so when we have a story like this about these two worlds overlapping one another and intersecting each other, we don't know what to do with it because in our view, that's not how it's supposed to work. But from beginning to end, the Bible us, or presents us rather with a very different picture of things. The God of the Bible is not a remote God who lives off in the far-off reaches of heaven and only ever so often occasionally reaches in and sticks his hand or his nose into human affairs. The God of the Bible is a God who is intimately, continuously wrapped up and mixed up with the ongoings of ordinary people. From the call of Abraham to the burning bush of Moses, to the giving of the law at Mount Sinai, to the conquest of the promised land, to the covenant he made with David, to the sending of the prophets, to the visit of an angel named Gabriel, to a young virgin named Mary. God has continuously, repeatedly, over and over again been engaged with his world. And so, yes, the virgin birth is far outside our expectations, but it is in no way beyond God's expectations. It is in line entirely with the way He normally acts. It is the story of a God who has a long history of inserting Himself into the world He is longing to redeem. 
virgin birth is the story of a God who comes from beyond our expectations and outside our understandings to accomplish what is bigger than our abilities. And that is why we gather to worship and give thanks because it means that at the end of the day there is a story being told that is bigger than ours and there is a voice being heard that is more powerful than ours. So, I want to ask you a question this morning on this Sunday before Christmas. Why are you here in church this morning? Some of you are here because it's Sunday and that's just what you do, and it never thought to ask, never occurred to you, you should even ask why you're here. Some of you may be here because, well, like I said, it's the Sunday before Christmas and Mama said you got to come to church today if you're going to get a present from her. And if so, welcome and way to go, Mama. But maybe, just maybe, you are here today because some part of you is longing to hear a word that comes from somewhere beyond your limited understanding of things. Maybe there is some deep part of you that is hoping there really is more going on in this world than meets the eye. Maybe there's some part of you that's trusting, longing to believe that God is up to something bigger than you or me. Because you have brought the breast you have to bring and yet the problem hasn't gone away. The relationship still has not healed. The sadness still has not lifted, the clarity still has not come, the answer still has not appeared, the phone still has not rung, the sickness still has not been cured, a purpose still has not emerged. You have brought everything you know to bring and there's nowhere else to turn. that comes anywhere close to describing your experience today, then I have some really good news for you. God is still in the business of working around the edges of what seems possible to us. The same God who parted the Red Sea. The same God who gave the manna in the wilderness. The same God who fed Elijah in the desert. The same God who raised the dead. The same God who time and again showed up and made a way when there was no way. That same God is the one who got himself born into the world through the womb of a virgin so that we might be saved. Because of him. We have been rescued from sin. We have been rescued from death. And we have been restored to fellowship with our Heavenly Father. And He is the same God who is at work right now in your life and in mine to bring about what we 
never dreamed possible. Thanks be to God and Merry Christmas. Let's pray together. Father, we have not deserved the love and the mercy that you have poured out upon us. When our hearts were hard and our minds were stubborn and our behavior was rebellious, you still pursued us. And yet we dare not believe in you simply because it doesn't line up with our expectations. Forgive us for our foolishness. Help us, O God, to place our trust once again in you. Help us to surrender our story to your story and our life to your life. That your life might shine through ours. And that your story might be told through ours. Give us the grace of simple trust in you who does the unimaginable. And we make this prayer in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. God is not waiting to see if simply we can force ourselves to believe. He's waiting to see if we can bring ourselves to trust, to surrender, to yield to the mystery of a God whose love for us is bigger than we can imagine and beyond our abilities to comprehend. As we close out our worship on this Sunday before Christmas, the question we must each ask ourselves is, has that happened? Have we yielded to the truth? Have we surrendered to his story? If there's any decision you need to make public in response to that question, if it's to profess faith in Jesus Christ for the first time and acknowledge him as Lord and Savior, what better Christmas gift could there be than to receive the gift of salvation that he has given? If that's where you are, then as we sing, I would urge you to come forward. If there's other responses you need to make, if you've never uh, sought fellowship with the church and you're looking to connect with other believers who seek to follow this one who was born in the manger long ago, we'd love to receive you in this hour. But if there's anything else you need to make public, I will be here. And yet the call is to all of us to submit ourselves to the truth. Let's do that as we stand and worship him together.